the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. BN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Moss Nissan. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I mean, do you, do you see the scene? You know, I, I can't even teach this without smiling. It's so incredibly ironic. Talk about death of a vision. Here, this guy, you know, a Hamas. Oh, who else? You know, I've been invited to Esther's banquet. Nobody else has been invited but the king. I'm the prime minister. He's just been boasting the day before to his family how wonderful he is, how many children he has, how the king has honored him. And the king says, what is to be done to the man who honors the king, who the king desires to honor? And this guy thinks, wow, I have made it. Who else would he be talking about? And I'm here and he's asking me and so I'm going to I'm going to let him have it. I'm going to tell him everything I've been thinking about for months or years or weeks on how I should be honored. It's not easy to admit you've been wrong about something, especially if you have talked a lot about it and staked your reputation to your confidence in being right. We refer to it as eating crow, but I think in Heyman's case, we need to invent something a little stronger. Perhaps eating buzzard will do. Hello, I'm Jerry Pruden, welcoming you to another edition of Verse by Verse with Steve Kreloff. Steve is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And today, we'll be continuing a series of messages which Pastor Steve taught on the book of Esther. The Lord God exalts whomever he chooses, and he also brings down whomever he chooses. He is the sovereign king over all things and all people. Nothing can prevent him from working his will. God does at times allow evil men to live and work their wicked schemes, but they are never outside of his view and his justice. At the time that he deems best, God will accomplish his purposes in the lives of men in the course of history. His timing is perfect in every detail. For Haman, the time has arrived, and this sleepless night for the king is the beginning of the end. Here's Pastor Steve with more. So, a servant of the king had to stay up all night reading to Xerxes, and that Xerxes isn't going to get any sleep. His servant's going to stay awake, too. It's a rotten job, but somebody had to do it, right? And by divine providence, guess what they read? Or guess what that servant read? Now, here's just a pagan servant thousands of years ago in history reading to a pagan king, and God is involved. Now, that's exciting. That is really exciting because there's nothing too small for God to be involved in. It says in verse 2, And it was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus, or King Xerxes. And what's he talking about? We turn back to chapter 2, verse 21. I told you when we went over this some weeks ago that this was a very pivotal 
portion of the book. And the writer just kind of passed by it, but now he's he's referring back to it. In chapter 2, verse 21, looks like a very insignificant event. It says, in those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, and that does not mean that he was just leaning upon the fence, not knowing what to do. It meant that he was a judge, some kind of a court official. Uh, Big Than and Teresh, two of the king's officials, from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Zahazurus. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a, on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. Years had passed. In fact, it's probably about five years ago that this event happens. And of all the things that could have been read by the servants, by this time Xerxes has had 12 years in office. Five years ago this happened. Of all the things they could have read, the servant chose this one incident. Is it by accident? Coincidence? Did the pages just kind of fly open to that page? Certainly not. Why would God want the king to hear about this incident involving Mordecai? It's very important. Look at verse 3. And the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Has he, has he been rewarded is what he's saying. Then the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. Mordecai has not been rewarded for his loyalty. Nobody has thanked Mordecai. He's an unsung hero. He saved the king's life. It's true the king was had assassination attempts all the time on his life. But in this case, nobody reported it in the sense that they wrote it down or, or they did write it down. But nobody came forward and gave Mordecai his reward. He saved the king's life. This was a very significant oversight, very important. And King Xerxes would not allow this to happen. He did not want oversights like this. Why? If a Persian king failed to publicly, and, and I might add spectacularly, reward people who reported attempts and assassination plots, and you know what's going to happen? Other people who hear assassination plots might not want to risk their lives reporting it to the king or his officials. And if others who hear it don't report it, it could end up in death for Xerxes. So it was very important for the king. It was for his own good and welfare that when the king heard that there was an assassination attempt and someone reported it, he would certainly and spectacularly reward that, that loyalty. Do you see the point? I mean, this is not just an incidental thing. This, is, this could mean his life. So he wants to make sure that he sets an example of Mordecai so others might be encouraged to do as, as Mordecai did. Why couldn't the king fall asleep? Whether it was Persian pizzas or hamburgers or anxiety, we don't know. But we do know because God didn't want him to sleep. God wanted him to read about Mordecai and the oversight and rewarding him. Why? Because God is preparing this king, pagan as he is, one who is probably uh, uh, involved in astrology and, and Zoroastrianism, which is an occult and involved in astrology, God wants this king to act favorably towards Mordecai and ultimately the Jewish people and unfavorably towards Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And so you see how God was involved in Esther's delay. Even that delay, had she asked the king right away, I want you to deliver my people and so forth, it wouldn't have had the same impact. 
God was involved even in Esther's delay. Even though it was part of the Persian culture to not be upfront, God was involved even in that. Because he wanted his timing to be, he wanted the king's timing to be what his timing was. God is always concerned about timing. I'll never forget the great joy in reading through John chapter 13 and 14 and, and then the upper room discourse and then the, the uh, arrest of the Lord begin to take place. You see that everything is timed accurately. The Lord says to Judas, he said, whatever you do, do it quickly. And you see that even though Satan had entered into Judas, he was demon possessed, satanically possessed. Christ is ordering him and he's on God's timetable that God is in charge of time, not just events, but time. And sometimes we worry about that. Is God controlling the time? He certainly is. And uh, when Christ died, he died as the Lamb of God. He died as the Passover Lamb. And it was all planned out that way. And everything was moving towards that uh, culmination of that event. And it was at the right time. When he came into this world, the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. God is involved not only in events, but in the timing of those events. And so he's involved in this time, too. Let me apply it for a moment. Let's go back to sleep. When you can't sleep at night, and many of us have difficulty at times sleeping. There are some times I'm out like that, and other times I just can't sleep. I want you to know that God is involved. I want you to know that God is still involved. You know, the Lord has accomplished very wonderful things in the hearts of people while they laid awake at night. In fact, Psalm 4.4 says this. If I can find it, I'm going to read it to you. But Psalm 4.4 tells us about David as he would lay awake at night. The scripture says this. In the second part of the verse, meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. God is saying meditate, think, chew it over. Consider these things while you're lying awake at night. Did you ever think that maybe God just wants to speak to your heart? Maybe if it's tonight, and if you can't fall asleep tonight, you're probably going to blame me for putting this in your mind. But maybe maybe God just wants you to review what you heard today, the word of God. Maybe God wants you to think about that Sunday school lesson or what you heard this morning, what you heard this evening, or maybe he's been doing something special in your life and and he wants you awake so he can talk to you. In fact, sometimes we're just too busy for God to speak to us any other time, right? We're running here and there and we're so active and we're involved in in our children's lives and we got to we got to get in the car and we've got traffic and we've got to make money and we've got to get home. We got to fix dinner. We got all maybe the only time. That you rest at all is at night when you can't sleep. And maybe God will keep you up so he could speak to you. Do some great work in your life. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, in the Bible says at night that God comforted the apostle Paul as he was in Jerusalem and uh, horrible persecution and, and uh, his life was threatened and he was before the Sanhedrin council and the Lord stood with him and the Lord encouraged him at night. And it was probably when Paul couldn't sleep at night. You know, I've had that in my life that uh, I'll be lying awake at night thinking about what I've studied this week. And all of a sudden, the passage unfolds to me. It's incredible. Spend four, five, six hours studying uh, during the day. And then at night, it just begins to unfold to me. I've had some outlines come come to me at night that I knew I had to get up and write it down because I never remember it in the morning. 
God does keep us awake in order to accomplish some things. And there have been other times in my life and maybe in your life where you toss and you turn, you're not worried about anything, you just can't seem to fall asleep. And you know what occurred to me uh, some time ago, maybe God, I thought, maybe God, Steve, is keeping you awake so you might get out of bed and just pray or stay in bed and just pray. And you know, I found that to be very helpful. You don't want to count sheep, you want to pray for the sheep, right? And so maybe the Lord is keeping you awake so you would just pray and, and commune with him and praise him and enjoy that time. In Esther, the king could not sleep and God was in it. You see, God wasn't asleep either, was he? God was awake. God never sleeps. In fact, the psalmist said, he that keepeth Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. God is always awake, always active, always at work. And he's at work here preserving Israel through the sleeplessness of a king. Well, it's morning by now, and Haman enters the scene. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. So the king said, and, and it is the morning by now, he has been reading the Chronicles or having it read to him, and the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows, which he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said to him, behold, Haman is standing in the court. And the king said, let him Come in. Now, normally, what what would take place is an official of high-ranking uh, degree would be in the in the court in case the king needed him. That's that's what would take place. Why would the king need him for counsel, for advice? And so uh, the king simply says, "Who's available to give me counsel? I've got something on my mind that I need to ask someone. Who's here?" And the servant says, "Well, it's it's Haman. He's here. He's come in the morning and bright and early, and he's available uh, for you." Kind of like a Someone, president saying, what staff member is, is here? What, what junior executive might give me help? That's, that's the thought here. Now, folks, I want you to know the tide is about to turn. Tide is about to turn in this book. Remember why Haman is at the court. He's not there to pay a social visit on the king. He's there to ask the king permission to hang Mordecai on the gallows. The same Mordecai that the king has just decided he wants to honor. Now, Haman has a problem. He just doesn't know he has a problem. Neither man knows what's going on in each other's minds. And so verse 6 says this. So Haman came in and the king said to him, What is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king desire to honor more than me? What a proud person. I mean, do you, do you see the scene? You know, I, I can't even teach this without smiling. It's so incredibly ironic. Talk about death of a vision. Here this guy, you know, Hamas, oh, who else? You know, I've been invited to Esther's banquet. Nobody else has been invited but the king. I'm the prime minister. Uh, he's just been boasting the day before to his family how wonderful he is, how many children he has, how the king has honored him. And the king says, what is to be done to the man who, who honors the king, who the king desires to honor? And this guy thinks, wow, I have made it. Who else would he be talking about? And I'm here and he's asking me and so I'm going to, I'm going to let him have it. I'm going to tell him everything I've been thinking about for months or years or weeks on how I should be honored. Verse seven. Then Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king desires to honor, let them bring a royal robe which the king has worn. And the horse on which the king has ridden, 
and on whose head a royal crown has been placed. And let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Haman just rattled this right off the tip of his tongue. He didn't have to think about it. You know why? He's been thinking about it for a long time. He probably has meditated on how the king should honor him. So this indicates that, you know, he doesn't have to go back home and say, well, that's that's a big question. Let me think about that. That's really important. No. In other words, he's saying, look, let me tell you how I'd like to be honored. And he wants to be honored and he wants to be thought of as really a, a great, great man in the kingdom. He wants to have the appearance of the king. So he says to the king, this man ought to have a royal robe. He ought to have the king's horse. Now, I want you to know that when it says on whose head a royal crown has been placed, it does not refer to the man, but to the horse. Uh, some liberal theologians have said impossible. Why would this? Why would Haman ask for a, a horse and a crown to be put on the horse? That doesn't make sense. He'd want to wear the crown. No, but uh, ancient Persian sculptures show that king's horses often had ornaments on their on their heads, kind of a three pronged little little crown. And so this was not out of the ordinary. He wants to look like the king. He wants when he goes down the the uh, streets, he wants everyone to to acknowledge him as being one who. Uh, the king honors, and maybe in, in Haman's mind, he wants to be king. I would think that's probably the case. And Haman also suggested that a noble prince should be chosen to lead the honored man on horse throughout the city, proclaiming that this is the man, this is what, what the king does to the man who honors the king. This is what the king does in honoring that man. Now, Haman just craves this recognition. He is, he is at this point on cloud nine. He is thrilled. This, you know, he's probably thinking, my ship has come in. This is it. This is the ultimate. He's a braggart. He's an egomaniac. In fact, that's why he had Mordecai. That's why he's so, he's so disturbed with, with Mordecai. Mordecai won't bow down to him. You just don't do that to an egomaniac. Well, the king liked Haman's idea, unfortunately for Haman, but he liked his idea, so Guess what happens? Verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, take quickly the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so for Mordecai, the Jew, who's sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. There are times in history I wish I could have been there. I think this is one of them. Could you imagine what must have gone on in this man's mind? As I read this, I just laughed. I can't even teach it now without kind of laughing and smiling. I mean, as, as much as the guy is a creep, you feel for him. The only word that I, you know, I was thinking, Lord, how could I express this? I mean, is there any word in the English language that even can express? I, I thought of the word stunned. I thought of two words, abysmal disappointment. I would guess that there is probably on the face of the earth in all of history not a more disappointed man than Haman was at this time. And I don't think that would be an understatement as far as life in general, not even talking about the judgment of God. But life in general, could you think of anything more shocking than this? Could you just imagine this this guy? 
I mean, I know he's satanic. I, I know he's a creep. I know he wants to, to kill all the Jewish people. And yet there's something in me that empathizes with this guy and says, wow, that any human would have to go through this. Can you just imagine his shock? He's at the palace to ask the king permission to hang Mordecai. He thinks he's about to be honored by the king right through the street. Uh, and everybody acknowledging him. It's been a lifelong dream. And the king says, good idea. I want you to do that. And, and I want you to honor Mordecai. And you be the one who takes him through the street. I mean, talk about a turn of events. This man is totally humiliated. Totally humiliated. Just a few minutes ago, he's right up here. Now he is in the pits. Mordecai is honored and he's humiliated. I mean, talk about a rough day at the office. This is the epitome of it. And remember, this wasn't just a petty feud. This is not just a personal thing. I mean, it is, but it isn't. Remember, Haman is responsible for the decree to kill all the Jews, of which Mordecai is the one the king wants to honor. Haman is in big trouble, and he knows it. Now, do you dare to think that God doesn't have a sense of humor? As you read this, do you dare think that God doesn't have a sense of humor? If this wasn't in the Bible... I'd have a hard time believing it. I really would. Uh, justice like this doesn't come every day. I mean, only in, in cowboy movies and westerns does justice like this come. But it doesn't seem in, in real life, it come, but it came there. It's true. It happened. Its irony is just incredible. And, and it is, in, in one sense, really humorous. It's tragically humorous, but it's humorous. And it perfectly illustrates the principle that Solomon wrote about in Proverbs when he said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Is there anyone more proud than Haman? Pride goes before destruction. Or Proverbs 11, verse 2, when the Bible says, when pride comes, then comes dishonor. No greater illustration than that in the word of God than this. Do you think God can't take care of your enemies? I, I, you have enemies. I have enemies. There are people who don't like us. Maybe they don't call us enemies, but they don't like us. Some people may succeed in harming us today, but there's coming a future day. Justice will prevail. As incredible as this scene is in Esther, so it will happen with God in the day of judgment and our enemies. Justice will prevail. Just an illustration of that. There'll be a payday someday. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter reminds us that Jesus has given us the perfect example of how to rest in God through various injustices and difficulties. He was persecuted and put to death by evil men, but he did not worry, neither did he seek to bring about his own justice. Instead, he committed his case to the judge of the universe and entrusted himself to his father to work everything out as it should be. Steve, I can't help thinking of the many times we lie awake at night because we are worrying about little details such as timing. Are you saying that we don't need to sweat the little things so much? Well, I'm, I'm really saying what Scripture says. Jesus said, don't worry about anything, but in everything to trust, to trust him. We shouldn't, we shouldn't worry about the big things or the little things. We should trust in him. And that, of course, the great teaching for that is Matthew 6, where Christ taught about you don't need to be anxious 
he's in sovereign control of everything, even the birds of the air and uh, and all the 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 lilies of the field. He takes care of them. He'll take care of you. Would you say that excessive worry is sin or borders on sin? I would say any worry is sin, whether it's excessive or not. Any worry is really a uh, almost a slap in God's face saying, I will not trust you. And that means we all have some work to do in this area. Thanks, Steve. We serve a God who is faithful to his word and to his people. Yet he does not work on our timetable. God often delays his intervention, and we may be tempted to think he is not paying attention or that he has somehow lost control of the situation we face. The people of Israel may be the best example of this. They were without a homeland for 1,800 years. They were scattered throughout the earth, and in most cases, they were despised by the people among whom they dwelled. Yet through it all, God was in control. In his own time, he gathered them back to their homeland just as he promised to do. All believers should be encouraged by God's dealings with Israel. His faithfulness, wisdom, and power are on clear display through thousands of years of events. That's one reason why Pastor Steve has written a book entitled God's Plan for Israel. In the book, Steve reviews God's glorious plan for his chosen people and demonstrates that God is in the process of fulfilling each of his promises. You can order God's Plan for Israel when you call us at 727-239-0306. And of course, you can listen to any of our previous broadcasts on our website, versebyverse radio, all one word, dot O-R-G. Simply click on the audio archive link near the top of the page, and you'll see a list of topics and programs. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.